Welcome to the Into Wilderness podcast, the largest UK hunting, countryside and adventure podcast. How long have we been going for now? It's just maybe a year and three months, a year, four months, something like that. Come a long way in that yeah, time. We have come a long way. It doesn't feel like a year and four months, I have to say. So uh, I'm I'm one of your hosts, Daryl Pace, and the guy sitting next to me is... Byron Pace. <laughs> there we yes, are. I was going to say, I'm the, uh, the other half I'm of the, other the podcast. Half, yeah. Uh, and uh, in case you hadn't realized, we were brothers. Yeah. <laughs> in case that wasn't obvious with the surnames. Yeah. Um, we're out every two weeks. We run a podcast which is mostly based around interviewing really cool people around yep. the world. Cooler people on, than us. <laughs> on all manner of topics. We've had things from uh, really deep discussions on the introduction of links in the UK to interviewing Josh James and Ivan Carter and other big names like like Donnie Vincent. So it is broad-ranging, wide-spectrum, and global. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a whole array of great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. But the next thing that we're going to be doing um, is going to IWA. We're off to the big trade fair, the IWA Outdoor Classic in Germany. And And I think, we need to confirm this, we could possibly be the largest... European hunting podcast, English speaking. Yeah, well, I we think need to confirm. This. We need to confirm this, but we we, we might very well be. We're, we're keep on searching for others. Um, so Ewa next, and then after that, Northern Shooting Show. That's where you can see us. We're going to be walking around them. And at uh, the Northern Shooting Show, we are going to be doing a live debate. Yes, and podcast. we are. On a stand in the deer focus area, which is a new area that wasn't there last year. Uh, not quite sure what the topic is going to be. We've pretty much picked who's going to be on the panels for both days. Uh, but as soon as we've got some more details on that, we will let you know. And if we if we get a little, uh, some people, there's going to be a PA system. So you'll be able to stand in front and, and you should be able to listen to it as well as we're recording. That's the hope. Um, so we're going to try and get maybe a little bit of public engagement as well. Yeah, it would be really nice if people joined in on the, the show. And very excited about the Northern Shooting Show this year. We're speaking a lot with Richard, one of the organizers. And it it's bigger and better. It was its first show last year. And it went really well. So if it's anything like last year, which we know it will be, because it's going to be bigger than last year, then it's going to be a great show. Yeah. So we're re- that's going to be our first show of the well, f- first game fair in the UK of the year. The EWA doesn't really count because it's kind of a trade fair, so it's yeah, not, it not really it. open to the general public. And there is a possibility of our film festival film being shown at EWA. Oh, oh yeah. You know what, EWA? Sorry, uh, Northern Shooting Show. Yes. Well, I, I think I think that's confirmed. I think it is conf- yeah. almost confirmed. So we uh, we've just finished putting together uh, the film, basically based around the trip that we did in Norway. For those people who have been listening to us for a while, will know that we were, we were in Norway last September, and uh, we made a, a film. Around. We're not going to really tell you anything about that because we will be releasing a trailer, uh, probably about the about Ewa time, so right the first week in March. But afraid to say you're not going to be able to see it for months unless you come to the event, the events that we say that it's going to be on because it's actually being put into film festivals and we can't release it to the world until it's done the rounds of the film festivals or the events that we've 
we're going to. So the first place that you will be able to see it in the UK will be on uh, the big main screen at the Northern Shooting Show. Uh, we will bring you some more details on that, yep. but I think it's, it's pretty 12 much minutes. It's 12 minutes long. 12 minutes long. Uh, uh, but there will be a trailer out at the start of March. So if that's a reason to go to the Northern Shooting Show, then there's a, a damn good reason. And I think uh, you can get your tickets now. I think they're £10. Yeah, they are, if I remember right. Yep. Yeah, early bird tickets. Early bird tickets, so get them now. Um, we've got some other interesting news. I've just got to try and get it, find my note here so I get this right. Uh, so our sponsor, the Scottish Association for Country Sports, they are cu- currently have uh, arrangements uh, with three major car brands. Uh, so this is a, a brilliant uh, addition to your membership if you're looking for a new car because for Toyota, Renault and Ford uh, in the UK they have discounts. So if you're not a member and you join you'll be able to take up uh take up these d- discounts if you're already a member give them a call and they'll tell you what they are. And I know they're, they're not small discounts. They're not. They're <laughs> Some of them are huge yeah. and uh, particularly Toyota until the end of March 2017 they've got enhanced uh discounts it's like let, it's let, almost double what it was. So. Let, let's put it this way. If you're not a SACS member, and if the only reason, and it shouldn't be the only reason. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the only reason you join. But if you join just for the discount, it is worthwhile if you're looking to buy a brand new Hilux. Yeah, well, or, or any other Toyota. Oh, yeah. yeah, just because their discount, it's so large uh, between now and the end of March. But if you want more details on that, give the uh, the Scottish Association for Country Sports office a call. They'll be able to tell you about their membership uh, what they do, and also about about the discounts for vehicles. So, um, quite possible. I, they're going. I know that they're going to be talking about all these discounts in the latest newsletter, which is out at some point fairly soon. But this might be the first that uh, some of the current members have heard about it. So, could be. Um, did you have something else before uh, we go over prizes? No, I wanted to actually talk about Ivan Carter quickly. Oh, okay. Uh, Ivan Carter, a previous guest of ours. If you haven't listened to him, go and check him out now. We've mentioned him loads and loads. And whenever there's a discussion about Africa, trophy hunting, uh, basically anything to do with General Africa. General global gen- conservation. Glo- yeah, I always direct people to that podcast, especially online, because online, it's so hard to get a point across online. And uh, only yesterday, in fact... Uh, there was someone online and they were saying they don't understand how trophy hunting can save a species or be beneficial to a species if it's in decline. And uh, lines was what they were talking about. And they said, how can killing an animal be saving an animal? And I said, I can't explain all of this online. I don't, one, I don't actually have the time to write massive paragraphs. But secondly, it's you just can't explain it properly online. It's It's so hard to do it over social media. So I said, listen to this show with all the links. And then come back and talk to me. Mm-hmm. They haven't come back and talked to me yet. Maybe yeah. they're still listening. Ho- hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll listen. And it's a good point. When I mean, we've had a massive amount of really great feedback from from that show that we did with, uh, with with Ivan Carter, from people who have said, you know, we I didn't really understand trophy hunting, but do you know what? I still wouldn't want to do it, but I yeah. get it. I get and why the there's a thing. reason for it. I mean, th- th- that particular podcast I was talking about has, talks about way more than just uh, trophy hunting. But what's quite... You had it up there on your phone, Daryl, the, the the latest video. And this is worth a, a shout-out because I was actually speaking to Ivan just a, a couple of days ago and we're due to catch up with him at the end of this week. But he's currently running a, uh, running a campaign and there's a video on his page to do with 
saving chimpanzees. Yep, it is. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed in the fact that I've shared this twice now and it's had almost no traction on Facebook and I, I think that's heavily to do with Facebook filtering. Yeah, I hope it is. I, yeah, I hope it is. Um, so it's Lero uh, Chimpanzee Sanctuary and he's trying to, his goal is to raise $60,000 for this chimpanzee. Now the video is on our podcast it's page. a chimpanzee sanctuary, not, yeah. not a single chimpanzee. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a single chimpanzee. <laughs> But they do more than just chimpanzees. They do other uh, monkeys as well. Um, his goal is to raise $60,000. If you watch the video, you'll understand what's going on there, largely to do with the bushmeat trade and also the capture of live babies. Um, so what happens is um, people want live chimpanzees as pets. So the only way to get that is to kill the mother. And then these chimps are treated fairly badly. And they go and save them. It's uh, it's pretty harrowing. I just finished watching a documentary on Netflix called Virunga, um, just last night or the night before, which is based in Virunga National Park in the Congo, and it's, it's a very similar story, but it's for um, mountain gorillas. Well, it's the last stronghold of mountain gorilla in the world, and it's yeah, it was it's pretty heart wrenching actually to watch that. And this is a an equally an equally disturbing story and uh, a cause definitely worthy of backing. I think we've already put the the video which has Ivan talking in it on our podcast page on uh, Into the Wilderness. So We put it on both pages. Uh, yeah, so j- go and check that out and watch we're, it. We're going to put the link in the description of this, this show as well. And if you have... Uh, li- Ivan said it before. It's very hard to go to someone and you know he wants to raise sixty thousand dollars it's very hard to go to an individual person and go i need sixty thousand dollars for this this and this it's much easier to ask sixty thousand people for one dollar mm-hmm. uh so if you can spare a pound or uh have one less pint at the pub which is i don't know three pounds eighty now yeah uh, then a long you, way. You, i mean uh just for an example twenty five dollars pays f- for looking after one chimpanzee for a month mm. so it'd be really cool if our show could uh Look after, look after a chimp for an entire year. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be quite. So cool. what did you said twenty five dollars looks after a chimp for, in the sanctuary for a month. For one month, yeah. Well, it's food. It looks after yeah. its food. Well, right, yeah. Well, I guess we could we lay down the challenge for some of our listeners. Yeah. Um. Go go and watch that video though. The link will be in the in the podcast description. Go watch that. There video is thousands of listeners. So I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping that so, uh, some people feel uh feel that they would like to donate to feel this. Yeah. Um, we have a prize winner. So last, uh, well, two weeks ago, uh, yeah, we were here a week ago because we brought you a news podcast. As promised, we did deliver a whole array of news. Daryl and I uh, covered it a week ago. But two weeks ago, um, we gave you uh, the chance to win a Bushnell headlamp. I've got this the right way around. Yes, it was a Bushnell headlamp you could win two weeks ago. And it was an Instagram competition where you had to comment on yep. the picture of many, this many, Bushnell Many, 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 many people entered. Um, yes, so Daryl, you've got the winner. It is the Instagram username Gamekeeper's Wife, which who is Sarah Jane Mottram. Yes. So get in contact with us. You've got a month. We will put it up on our um, Instagram as well, so you're aware of it that yeah. you've uh, you've won. So this is about the third uh, Bushnell headlamp that we've given away, and uh, I think I said this before, but I actually have one that is part of my uh, my hunting kit when I go out. And of course, we have another competition. Um, you can win this week a Surefire G2X Pro 
um, like mini handheld power lamp. I thought it was the Fury lamp. that we gave away before. But uh, I think it was Fury. This one. is a slightly different one. Now, this one has two uh, illumination settings, a 320 lumens and a 15 lumens. 320 is obviously the super bright, and that will last for two hours on... Um, it's like looking into the sun. <laughs> <so> <laughs> I, suggest, the sun. I suggest don't look into the torch. But it will last 45 hours with the, the dimmer 15 lumens. Uh, it takes two of those, um, I think they're the little stubby... Uh, like one, two, three A batteries, um, and it's got. Oh, a beam. they're even included. Yeah, they are included. They're inside, uh, and it's got a, a beam length of one hundred. So don't say we're meters. not good to you. We even include the batteries. Mm. So yeah, that is it. It's an awesome little torch. This, um, so definitely worth entering. And I, I haven't actually checked the the price on this one, but the last one that we gave away, it was it's an it's an expensive prize. It's like one hundred and eighty pounds yeah, or something is, like yeah. that. So. You're talking. We were uh, surprised when we yeah, went we were online look. and had a look. But they are—they've guaranteed for life, and they're basically bomb-proof. It's the kind of torch that you will probably end up handing down to your kids. <laughs> uh, okay, so if you want to win this, you're going to have to enter. And uh, are we going to make it a Facebook competition? Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a, a, a tag a friend. Yeah, people okay. seem to like that. And also, uh, because we do have this on YouTube as well, if you comment below on YouTube you're entered into competition. Mm. Nice and easy. And if you are one of the, as is always the case with, with these, if you are one of the listeners who don't use all the social media, that's absolutely fine. Just send us an email. We don't want to exclude you from being able to uh, win win the prizes. Just send us an email. Uh, podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. It is Good. in dis- the description. Uh, send us an email and just put like competition. Podcast, prize po- yeah, po- podcast competition and we'll enter you as well. We, we don't, like to exclude people so there you go surefire torch that is how you win it yep uh i'm gonna do one more thing before we get into our guest for today which was a very interesting podcast i was not there present while they were recording it but because i edit it i get to listen to it um okay so the next thing uh gary latcham he uh, we've met Gary once or twice before, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the last time was actually Northern Shooting yeah, Show. I think it was year. Northern Shooting Show. Uh, Gary, a uh, really nice guy, and he sends us quite a few poems, and they're really good. So it's uh, every time that I've meant to read them out, we've always forgotten. So today is the day. Have you got your poem voice on now? I don't. Well, me and Byron are both suffering from, from been ill for extreme... A week. Man flu, <laughs> and I'm talking extreme. I I almost cough, coughed up a lung yesterday. <laughs> I did cough up a lung. Yeah, yeah. I felt I felt like I've been out down the mines for <laughs> for a year or two. Okay, so it's called a stalker's poem. Not long now, the time is near. Soon it will be the season of the roebuck deer. Check my gear, make sure it's all here. Get the correct ammo and check my camo. Down to the range and check my sight. It's the first tomorrow, so bed early tonight. Up before dawn and into the wood. Now it's time to wait and see what's near. Maybe today I'll get a roebuck deer. There you go. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Sophisticated. Yeah, no, it's, it's Gar- Gary. Uh, we'll it's try and remember so that next time we can maybe bring you another poem. It's yeah. just remembering to read them out. I know, we, we do get a large amount of messages. That's the main problem is we get a lot of messages of people asking us to read things, things out and, and that. Mm. But it's been a long time coming Gary so very sorry that we've not managed before now uh, but I'm glad we managed to read one out now 
Uh, and one last thing I'm going to mention uh, before we introduce our guest, and that is that you definitely need to go and check. If you like the podcast, which I'm hoping you do because you're listening, uh, then you definitely need to go and check out our website, thepacebrothers.com, because on there, uh, particularly, if you hit the blog tab, we've done a big revamp there, and there's a load more material. The whole thing's looking a bit slicker, and there's a, uh, a great series of articles in there, particularly on, on conservation, which we're starting to build out. And uh, we have been sharing them across social media, and they've been getting quite a lot of uh, good traction. So it's the kind of thing that if you like the normal conversations that we have on this podcast, you're definitely going to like reading that material. It's kind of it's going to be, you know, hopefully over the next year, it's going to be kind of the one-stop shop for conservation stuff. And also, if you are, you know, if you are hunters and, and shooters, you you guys and girls probably like reading about rifle reviews and reloading and that kind of thing. We are going to have material like that on there too. Yeah. Um, so don't miss out and make sure you go and check that out. You know what we could do? I was just thinking there about Ivan Carter's thing. We could we, we'll uh, we could do a, a deal on our shop to raise a bit of money over the next two weeks for his for his chimpanzees. Because right now we give ten percent of all our profits to charities. We haven't decided which ones we've we're going giving it away, but it's sitting there in, in a pot. But I'm thinking over the next two weeks we could do something uh, with the the shop with our t-shirts and mugs, and we could make a little bit of money for for this this charity. Yeah, why don't we try and do that? Mm-hmm. So we're just going to do this off the top of our head right yeah, now? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so I think we'll, we'll raise the stakes here. So uh, any t-shirts or mugs bought on our shop in the next two weeks, we will give uh, 15% to this charity. Yep. Done. Done. So there you go. A chance for you to give to the charities, help look after uh, a chimp and all the other anim- any other animals that they look after there. And you're going to get something in return. I think that's a pretty fair deal. I think so as well. So, yeah, if you if you weren't listening two minutes ago, you can find the shop on thepacebrothers.com. Okay. So, so are we going into the guest now? We have a guest. Okay. Um, now, uh, the guest, it, it, it was, it's an interesting podcast, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, Ulrich, we start with a wild boar story. That's near the start of uh, a boar basically chasing him down after he's um, shot it with a bow. Uh, did you put the, for the, the YouTube video when that goes out, have you put so, that So yeah, so if you're watching on YouTube, when that starts being talked about, you'll actually get to see the, the video of Crazy. it. Crazy. Uh, and it's, uh, well, he, you, you get it explained to you, but he shoots uh, this wild ball with a recurve bow. And you can see it, it is, it's almost, it's dead on its feet. But it must, it just, it's ha- in last yeah, instinct, last instinct. It? it charges him and knocks him over and he, he shouts at it. And and then it, had, it has another little charge at him and then it just drops, it falls over straight away and dies. Uh, incredible piece of footage, great story to listen to. Those are the kind of things you've got to expect today. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I was sitting in the office the other day and I could hear this like repeated shouting on. I said, Daryl, what are you watching? He said, I'm watching the boar charge. <laughs> Uh, so it's yeah, got like yeah. eighty thousand views on on YouTube. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, so our guest this week is uh, Ulrich Orskov. He is a Danish hunter. He might not sound Danish. No, though. he doesn't because he has a. I, I think he won't mind me saying he has a really screwed up accent. Uh, it's, it's, it's a confusion of like New Zealand, Aussie, yeah. and then a bit, you, of Danish. a bit of Danish thrown in there as well. Um, but yeah, he he is a guy who really embodies what it is to be a, a true hunter he 
he is hard. He is hard as nails, and he uh, he experiences hunting probably as close to the truest that you can do in the modern world. And you'll get that feeling when you when you watch his stuff and you read the stories and you hear what he's got to say, and just the sheer amount of time that he spent by himself out hunting in the mountains is is quite incredible. So I, I'm I'm pretty confident uh, everybody's going to enjoy his stories and definitely go and check out his uh, his Facebook page. Once you're done. Oh yeah, best of all, you do find this out later on. He's a vet student. He must oh, be yeah. in his one of his final years now, as he was in the middle. I think he spent a lot of time hunting. Yeah, in I know. He spent too much time <laughs> hunting. Because the last picture, I, he one of the last pictures he put up on Instagram was him doing an operation on a, a dog. Mm, yeah. Um, so he, he is a, a vet student as well, mm. which is an interesting thing to so learn we, about. We talk about that. We do yeah. talk about how on one hand you can be saving animals lives all day and then on the in your evenings you're hunting animals mm. so it's interesting dynamic it is an interesting dynamic we hope you enjoy the show Ulrich, thank you for joining us on the into the wilderness podcast it's awesome to have you on we've been talking over the the last couple of weeks and uh yeah finally it's here now we first met for those people who don't know I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it must have been like three, four years ago yeah, at, uh, at a big event over in, uh, over in Denmark. And then yeah. we've talked on and off from, you know, from time to time. And we've got a, a mutual friend in David CP, who is the, the only person, the only guest on the podcast who's actually been on more than once. Yeah. And he wants to come on again. I don't know why. <laughs> how good is that? No, you, you, thank you for having me. And uh, no, it's a great podcast. I think, I think that's why David wants to come on again. <laughs> you've had you've had quite a few good people on the show, and uh, no, I'm honoured to be on here. <laughs> no, it's it's cool to have you here. And what's uh, people will realise this as we start to talk, but uh, what's going to be nice is as well as you know, being a rifle shooter, your one of your big passions is bow hunting. Now, David talked about bow hunting. We've had Donnie Vincent talk about bow hunting. So that's yeah. this will be the well, third person. Which in the UK we can't do it here. No, um, so that's going to be an interesting take. And despite the fact that we can't do it here, I've been. My, quite um, heartened by the response that we've had from like our UK listeners, where I thought it might kind of turn them off, but they've actually been really intrigued as to what you bow hunters have had to say. Yeah, well, I can say that I haven't done much bow hunting in Denmark, so I mean, for you to be located in the UK and you know you'd be able to do pretty much as much bow hunting as I've done. Mm. I think the only thing I shot in Denmark is a hare, really. So oh, really? I mean, there's unlimited on- options in New Zealand if you're. You know, if you're ready to work for it, yeah. and uh, yeah, not only New Zealand but Australia too, which is where I've done probably most of my bow hunting. Yeah. Uh, well, so let, yeah, let, let, I mean, let's start with that. So um, because it's, I, I look, I'd had actually seen them before. You sent me a couple of links of stuff to watch before we did the, the podcast, but I had actually, I, I had watched them all before, but I just watched them all again last night. Oh yeah. I let, well. I mean, let's just start with this because we'll we'll put a we'll put this up for the people who watch us on YouTube, and I'll put the links for your act, original video in yeah. the in the description of the podcast. Let's talk about that boar that oh, the that yeah. charged as you just explain that whole scenario like in infinite detail if you like because it's it's something a lot of people will never experience it is a good clip and i'm i'm so grateful to have have that captured on gopro because it's just something that after it happens after you you know being charged you can't really remember what really happened you know like it, did i go on my ass three four times what happened you know so it's just yeah it's good to have and uh no, I was out hunting on a uh, private private bit of property, Adam Green Tree, 
and um, and I was actually I was chasing fallow bucks, and uh, I'd spent a whole lot of time, you know, trying to get the drop on one, but they were just so hard, and and all of a sudden I just couldn't find them, and uh, there he was. I could just see him lying, you know, the the ball, probably I don't know six hundred meters away, sort of thing, and I could from there from that point I could actually tell he had <laughs> big tusks you know so I was like Fuck, if I can see the tusks from here you know they, he's got to be a massive ball and I was like right I'm going to give up on the on the fellow and and just hit for him you know and so I, I actually because the wind was good and he was sleeping I actually I made sort of a dash you know you know real quick to just got down there and uh snuck in slowly and yeah I think at that point in time I was just well what I have to, what I had to focus on was just not getting too excited, which is always the hard part in bow hunting, which is actually the hardest part in bow hunting, especially I think with the recurve when you, when you don't have the sights on, you've got to be mentally, you've got to be just you know calm and focused and and not let the adrenaline, not that let that you know buck fever or whatever you want to call it, not let that take over. So that's actually what I find to be the hardest part. Anyway, as I get closer to this boy and I can tell he's just still lying sleeping, his ears are moving around, so he's still sort of his, his half half there, you know. And uh, I just get into probably 15 metres and I'm like, I'm not going to go any closer. This is perfect, perfect shooting range for me. And and I send the, I just stare at the, stare at the crease, right? He's, he's quartering away a bit and that's perfect when you want to stick a pig. And... Uh, I just zoom in, focus on the spot, draw back, and I just, you know, do the drill. And, um, yeah, it just hammers him perfect straight up the heart, and I knew he was hit perfect, you know. I knew it was like, oh, I just relaxed after having that arrow sink into him. I was like, oh, he's done, you know. It's 10 seconds, and it, it's going to be over. And then I relaxed my bow hand, I, which is the mistake I made, really. If I would have stood still, I don't think he would have come charging. So he picked the movement, took the bow down, and he picked the movement instantly, and uh, he just came charging, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think what what happened was I was just – I knew 10 seconds, you know. You just got to do – Rick, you got to do 10 seconds, and that's it. He's going to be done, which is why I didn't – maybe if it would have been a bad shot, I maybe would have started running, but I knew it was a good shot, and you can't run from the pigs anyways. No. So, I was just thinking, I was seeing it in my in my mind over and over, like how I was just going to kick him in the face and, and that's what I did, you know. I planned it, just put up the foot and let him run into it, you know. And uh, that worked perfect. I went down on my ass, got back up again real quick and he came at me again and, and he tried to hook me this time, you know, bringing his head backwards. But I hit him hit him in the face again and, and that was it. And, and then he just started feeling dizzy, you know, because he'd just been dashing, you know, 15 metres and... That would have got his butt pumping, and and then he just couldn't do anymore. He backed off, and then he just stood, you know, clamping his, you know, his jaws, and yeah, I think the adrenaline, and th- well, and then he just dropped, and uh, <laughs> when he, he was dead on his feet, he was dead on his feet, and and he would have he would have gone down a lot sooner if he hadn't picked my movement. Yeah, he would have been he would have been dead in in ten seconds. This last, he was like on his feet for probably thirty. 30 seconds this time, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, had, had you, I mean, you, you've, 
seen plenty of boar and you know over, over in Europe the boar is a big thing had you had it in your mind prior to uh taking the shot or when you were very first going after boar with a bow that I'd, I'd you seen, would I'd... that you would tackle it in that way if you were confronted that you would have to tackle it head on as opposed to try and you know dodging it but I, I mean I think what you did there basically putting a piece of your body which was that your foot between yourself and where the pig was to kind of push it off uh, the yeah. line, if you were, because you were in open ground. I, I mean, I don't think there was any other way to do it other than what you did. No, not, I don't think so either. I think, well, it could have been, but no. I hadn't seen any boar attacks. I hadn't seen any boar. I haven't been hunting boars in Europe, really, before this. Um, I've had stories down in – this was my second time in Australia, so I, I'd hunted pigs the year before um, and shot a few pigs the year before before as well and i'd heard stories of, of bulls charging you know but they're like i asked how frequently does it happen and and it's something like one to two percent of of when you shoot a ball that they, that they will charge um and uh so it's not very frequent and when it happens you just got to jump up a tree or whatever but <laughs> this was not the case you know no trees nothing and uh i heard I've, i heard the story of uh my good friend uh, Adam and Antonio going out to to track down a wounded pig, and they were just walking along, and they had the bows on their back, or Antonio did anyways. And and Antonio, all of a sudden, this boar just comes charging out of the scrub towards Antonio, and and puts him on the ground in an instant, like like this boar did to me. And what happened was Antonio put his feet up as well while he was laying down; he wasn't standing up, and the boar just kept going at him and. It ended up the tusk ended up going through his leather boot into his you know into his leg, mm. as well as ripping up his calf muscle. And Adam was just this is the funniest thing. And I'm so why don't you carry a freaking GoPro, Adam? You would have so <laughs> much crazy stuff on your on video, you know. But Adam came charging. He took a, he took an arrow out of his quiver, and he just came charging at that pig and jumped on its back and 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 yelled, "Come at me, you!" And he just stamped it with this arrow and just <laughs> repeatedly. And it was, yeah. That's, that's raw. Crazy story, yeah. That's and just so doing what you need to survive. That, he ended up stabbing that pig to death with an arrow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's pretty primal. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, if you if you were to isolate that little story that you just said, right, without any context, <laughs> it would sound terrible to somebody outside the hunting yeah. world particularly. But in that yeah. situation, what do you do? Because, I mean, for those people who don't know much about, well, just pigs in general, any kind of pigs, whether it's feral pigs or whether it's uh, wild boar, yeah, they will take you out and they will kill you if you don't take some sort of action. Mm. And every year with the uh, bush pigs in, in Africa, which is probably most of my experiences with pigs is with bush pigs in Africa, every year they kill somebody out there. Yeah. Hunting them. Yeah. I mean, every year at least one person dies. They're mangy ones, aren't they? What? Um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're not too. But, no, they're not that bad. I mean, they're full of lice. Quite a lot of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they. I'm trying to think what they. I suppose they. They kind of look like a wild boar, but they don't have as much sort of hair and stuff on them. Yeah, they've got big, big sort of weird heads, don't they? Yeah, and they got like a lot, the the, <laughs> the boars have big warts on them, like yeah. big stick. Yeah, they're the ones. Yeah, they're and, the ones. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a fantastic animal to hunt. But I mean, they do a serious amount of damage to uh, not only crops but also uh, they just wipe out lambs if you've got sheep and you've yeah. got wild boar there they're like worse than foxes and jackal yeah. <clears throat> they're uh they, they can be they can do some serious damage which is why they hunt them they hunt, uh, hunt a lot of them with dogs there 
Yeah. Um, and uh, up, up really close. Uh, they do. I think they do a little a bit of it in New Zealand, although I've never done it. Where they, I think they do them with dogs as well, and actually with spears or knives. Have you heard of that or seen it? Yeah, I've I've done hunting with with knives and dogs as well, but it's not. Well, it's it's an adrenaline rush, but it's not. I don't. Uh, well, it, it's a good hunt, anyways. Uh, I I don't fancy it that much now. Like, no. Uh, I don't. Well, know, I don't know if I got the balls for it, to be honest. Well, it, it it is good hunting, but I mean the the pig. You know, the dogs grab onto the pig for a while, and it's not really. I like the silent kill. You know, I like mm. to sneak in, stick it with an arrow, and he's going to turn around, not knowing what happened, and then he's going to just going to drop. You know. Yeah. And, and the well, proximity that you're, I mean, that, that was the other thing I was going to say when you were talking about, uh, when you were sort of in the thrust of describing your charge, is the proximity when you're bow hunting, especially with a recurve, is, yeah. it's right there. It's like at the end of your nose. That's, yeah. you don't have that kind of safety gap that you could have with a rifle if you so choose. You're shooting something at 100 meters. It's very unlikely something's going to make the dash. Yeah. Even if it does see you. Yeah. So it's uh yeah it's a totally, no, totally different this for yeah you, you close up and no it's yeah it, it is an exciting type of uh, type of hunting and, and it really gets under your skin once you once you get the get the hang of it you know because in the beginning in the beginning it was really hard the hardest part was you know keeping that excitement away before the shot and you really have to have to teach yourself how to control your excitement. That was really the hardest part. In the beginning, I couldn't, and I, I missed that 10 meters, you know, and it was, like, really frustrating. Mm. Um, and it's not because you can't couldn't shoot. It was no, just it was no, everything no, else no. overtaking overtaking your ability. Yeah, exactly. But then I got the hang of it, and I was able to – I started being able to more sort of control the excitement and let it loose after the shot, you know. And then I hit the excitement after the shot, which is which is what you want when you when you behind. Like with the rifle, you can you can be excited before the shot as well because you can tell the crosshairs if you're ready or not to shoot. You know, it's just different with the Riku, Yeah, uh, maybe we should talk about that now because it's um, I think both the bow hunters we've had on before, who I mentioned, David and uh, Donnie, both shoot with. Well, I'm sure they both have shot recurves, but most of the stuff you see them doing is with uh, with compound bows. Yeah. So, which is in a way, and I, I, I shoot a recurve for fun here, but I haven't hunted with it. I'm not good enough yet. But it's, I haven't. I, I've never shot a, a a compound bow. But from what my my understanding of it is, it's a little bit closer towards shooting with a scoped rifle, if you like, because you do have that sight set up. Whereas the recurve is a lot more instinctive. So, for those people who don't know, just explain that that difference and and the difference. When it comes to actually, you know, training, practicing, and out in the field hunting, because I think that's going to tie in quite nicely with what you're saying about getting in sort of control of your emotions prior to to letting loose. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, the big difference is now I haven't hunted with a compound. I've only shot it like probably fifteen, twenty times tops, you know. And uh, I don't, I wouldn't mind hunting with a compound either. It's it's different, but um, hmm. How can I how can I say it? I mean, um, yeah, you just got to in both both the compound and, and the recurve, you got to be mental mentally stable. So there's not much difference in that, you know, with the compound and recurve. And you can even people. It's not always people don't always shoot uh, instinctive with with the recurve or longbow either. Some people use like gap shooting, like aiming with the tip of the arrow. Okay, so you can do that as well. So um, I don't see. Well, there is a difference, but the difference is probably more like repetition. Like 
And I, I actually like that. I like that you don't have to. Okay, so this is the big difference. I, I think I like the fact that you don't have to to aim at something. That you don't have to. That I can just look at where I want to hit and just put it straight there. You know, it, that man. is the best feeling I know, man. You know, just being able to look at it and and not think of anything else than just looking at it and just doing your routine, and then it's just there. You know, it it makes for so. The recoup does have an advantage, which is the movement. You don't have the same movement as the compound, and you don't have to wait for as long. It all depends on what your routine is, you know, your, your shooting cycle. Um, you don't have to wait for as long as with the compound. You don't have to think of the yardage. I don't have to think, uh, is this 10 meters or is it 25 meters? I can just zoom in, zoom in on the point, and it's just going to be like a basketball player, mm. you know, looking at, looking at the basket and just sinking the ball in. So I reckon that's the biggest difference that you don't have to carry a rangefinder, you don't have to think of the distance. You can just you can just do it. And I mean, I'm not shooting further than you know 22, 25 tops at the moment. And um, so there's not much difference in in the trajectory, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's just a matter of, of practicing a lot. And I was going to say that the the, the, yeah. the the one caveat to everything you just said, though, was that yeah. you probably have to practice a shed load more. Oh, you, you do, man. And I have to I have to stay on – because your muscles, even the muscles that you pull your bow with, they sort of disappear within a week, you know. You can feel that you haven't been shooting and you just got to get back into it. So how many and, uh, arrows are you shooting a day when you're in sort of full flight and you know you're going to be hunting? Uh, actually – and that's that's sort of the problem as well. When I got to New Zealand, is I didn't. I when I'm hunting, I don't really practice that much. I, I keep a practice head and and I shoot. I just stump shoot or what do you want to call it? Just shoot in the ground, mm. just to keep the shape up. But I shoot more when I'm preparing for a hunt, and then I don't shoot a lot when I'm when I'm actually hunting. Um, I shoot a few arrows in the morning usually before going out, just to. And that and that's enough. Like if I just keep it up with a couple arrows a day, it's enough to keep me keep me sort of in shape. Cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's definitely different than the compound. Whereas you can just wait for, you know, you could wait wait a couple of months and take ten arrows, and, and you'd be you'd be sort of dialed in if if you're in good shape. Yeah, I, I suppose it's a little bit more like shooting a rifle. You know, once you've done it and you know your sights are set up, if nothing's changed, then yeah, y- yeah, you should probably take a couple of shots just to make sure everything's good. But uh, it doesn't require the, the repetitive uh, daily training as, of a recurve. Uh, yeah. That's what uh, that I think. That's what probably excites me about it. And you know, hopefully, another twelve months of, of shooting, and I'm, I might be able to actually go hunt with. It. Obviously, not here in this country, but somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely. I'll point you into some good spots in uh, in New Zealand and or, or Australia. Yeah, we'll have to do Does that. Matter. Or or yeah. go together. Hey, there's yeah, an idea. Definitely. How good would that be? bit of filming and yeah now normally when we start these podcasts i normally start by getting a bit of background of the person but i was so excited to talk about the ball we kind of <laughs> skipped that um so i think now's a good time to do that now the it might seem strange to some people especially those we, we have a, quite a few people who listen to the podcast who are not necessarily like big hunters and not necessarily fishermen but they like the countryside so they, they like the debate and, and like to be able to take different things from different people yeah. so when I tell them that you are a vet student 
and you're a hunter. That may seem to some people like two things that don't really go together. But so, so we're going to tackle that. But before we, we get to that bit, which is kind of where you are right now, um, tell me a little bit about your early life because I actually I actually don't really know, you know know a huge amount about it and wh- where your passion for for hunting came from. Well, I I grew up my granddad and and grandma on my dad's side. They had a farm out west, and I used to spend a lot of time there running around with the with the neighbour boy. And uh, we used to you know build our own arrows and and uh, hunt with our own bows, or, you know, pretend to hunt sort of thing, and just run around in the field catching mice and. And uh, yeah, it was just an awesome place. They had sheep, they had pigs. You know, there's just all sorts of animal life. And we had the forest to ourselves. And, and my granddad was a hunter. He he unluckily passed away when, unfortunately, passed away when I was five, six years old. So I don't remember much. I remember being on a hunt with him where he, where he shot a fox. I don't. I, and then not much more. But um, yeah, I had some awesome times out there, and I think that's sort of what kick-started. Because I think it's it's really it's it's in the DNA. Like I heard a lot of people say that, you know, the hunters, it's it's in the blood, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that – and I think it's in within a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I think it, it's may, maybe stronger in, in, in other people, uh, in some people, of course. But um, I think this kick-started it and, and kept it going. And, um, yeah, so we just, but even, even from an early age, like my mom told me not long ago when I was two years old and I could just, I started walking, I climbed out in, out in the, uh, what do you, what do you call it? The chook yard. And, uh, there was this chook on a pen and I'd crawled up on it and I'd sort of, I was sidling towards it and my mom was like, am I going to, am I going to have to take him down? But, <laughs> She was fearing that that chook was going to pick out my eye or something. You know? <laughs> I just kept creeping towards that chook, and the chook was just leaning towards the towards the wall and just getting more and more, you know, <laughs> sketchy. And I came closer, and just all of a sudden, I just had the chook in my hand, you know, two years old, and I just stood there with the chook holding it. So I think it's been in my genes, you know. I think it's been in there for a while, you know. It's, that was just that primal, the primal urge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think it's yeah, it's pretty deep. <laughs> I mean, I, I I I totally agree with you. I I think that if most people were put in the right situation, they would find what's potentially missing, which is exactly as you've explained yeah, that, so that urge. Just... Because I mean, ultimately, we all we all consume the end result of that urge, but we don't necessarily have to do it because we have the conveniences of shops, basically, and and modern agriculture, but. You take it back and you strip it back, and we're going to talk about you know your time in New Zealand soon, and uh, then you really find out who you are. I think. Yeah. So yeah. um just so from that into sort of your your later years, sort of leaving school and stuff, and then deciding what you were going to do. What was your sort of thought process for deciding to do what you're currently doing now? Was it vet studies? You're thinking. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, your vet studies. Yeah. Well, when when I realised I probably well that was at the age of ten, I realised sort of I can't probably go be a prof, you know live a, live as an Indian, <laughs> which as is what I wanted to. to do at the time <laughs> yeah. actually. And uh, I just realised okay, I probably can't make a living of being an Indian. Uh, vet was actually the first thing that just came up because I I love animals too, you know. And uh, so it sort of came natural, and it sort of just stuck with me and went with the flow nothing changed and yeah 
I didn't have the grades to, to go in the uh, the first quota. The, the the studies are sort of broken up into two parts where you, you get the first quota, with the people with the highest grades, and then the second half, 90, 90 people go in with um, through a test and then through a conversation with people and uh, or with the examinators, and, and you talk a bit about why you want to be a bit and, and whatnot. And, yeah, I got in that way, and uh, yeah, it's just been a blast. It's just been an absolute blast. I've been loving it here, and I've been trying to sort of extend my my time studying because I love just being here. I'm I'm living like basically at the university. <laughs> I've got like, two minutes to to go to uh, classes and stuff, and it's it's just perfect. I live I live in a dorm with with eight people in the same hall, and it's uh, yeah, it's just an amazing time I'm having here. Hey, you you just said just a moment ago, you know, you you love animals. I mean, I, I I totally understand that. But can you just elaborate on that a little bit more and and tie that to your your hunting? Because again, it seems it or it could seem, especially from people outside of the outside of the hunting world, that that just seems like a, a ridiculous contradiction, where you can be fascinated and you know love just seeing you know animals out in the wild as as we all do. But yeah. there you are putting an arrow through something. So, I mean, I understand it, but try yeah. and, like, I, I want to hear what your kind of mindset is for that so other people can hear. I think it's just, it comes so natural to me that it's hard to, exp- I find it maybe a bit hard to explain, but everybody loves animals. There's no one that, that hates animals, you know, uh, I don't think. But it's just the hunting part is so integrated into me that it's just such a big part of me and... It's something that's natural. It's just who we are, really. Hmm. And um, I think, and it's been like that for for ages. You know, it's it's only recently that we that we sort of started. You know, uh, farming animals, and not having to hunt it. So I find it more natural not to or, or to be able to to kill an animal and, and still love it. You know, um, yeah. It is it is complicated probably to explain to people that haven't haven't had their their hunting um, and and maybe they don't have it the, the, the hunting instinct you know. Um, I wonder over a long enough time horizon you know if we continue the way that sort of society and that is which which I imagine we probably will whether <clears throat> the same way that you can breed certain traits in animals if you want to do that and we have done that through agriculture whether as a, as a, as humans we will actually lose it. Or, or some people yeah. will actually lose I, it. I've thought of it. I've thought of it a lot. I mean, um, yeah, that could happen. And, uh, yeah, it could. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know. It was, it was one of these hypothetical things. I just thought of it while you were talking. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. No. It's um, so, uh, okay. You recently uh, spent a bit of time out in New Zealand. I think yeah. you've been over twice, have you? Yeah, yeah, twice to New actually three times. First time wasn't hunting, it was just with family. But yeah, I was there in uh, 2012 with uh, with Espen mm-hmm. um, the first time and we hunted with the rifles and that was actually part of, that was not only for the hunting for me, it was also to, to get some experience before getting into the vet study. So I sort of did that as well. Um, oh, you know, we worked on farms and that and then we went hunting as well. And that's sort of where where yeah, I wanted to go as well because I couldn't get into into rifle hunting here at home because it's so expensive as well. Mm. And um, and New Zealand was the perfect place to do it. And 
And that's actually also where, where the bow thing sort of kicked up off for me because Espen brought his, his compound bow to, to New Zealand and hunted both with the compound and recu- or, or the, the rifle down there. And, uh, yeah, we had an awesome time in New Zealand in 2012. We ended up shooting both both big stags, big tar and, and, and chamois as well. So that was an epic troop and, and you couldn't ask for more and that, that, was just, that just got me hooked on New Zealand, you know, for, for life and uh, – there's just something about New Zealand, you know, the big terrain and such different terrain as well. Um, and the people there, it's just uh, an amazing country. Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to, well, I have had the opportunities to go, but I haven't had the time yeah. to go yet. But my cousin actually lives there now. He yeah. was my, my old... Uh, Where's he living? He lives uh, in the south of the North Island somewhere. I can't remember exactly where he lives. So oh, he, yeah. He's a doctor yeah. over there, actually. And uh, growing up when I was a kid, he was my big hunting fishing buddy. Because uh, yeah. he lived like 30 minutes from me here. So we were, you know, even before either of us could drive, we were fishing as far away as we could. And then as soon as we got driving licenses, we would just fish around all of Scotland. And then we were, yeah. we were, we did more fishing then than we were hunting, but we we would hunt together as well. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, I actually did that when I was younger too. Like I did a lot of fishing, but now nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, the likewise, actually. Just, um, but that's just because of sadly just bloody time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I still no, love to true. fish, but I suppose when you're younger, fishing is way more accessible than being able to go out hunting. So I guess yeah. that's probably why we, a lot of us, and it, it is, I, I always view it as it, it is hunting. It is it is hunting with a hook. It's yeah. the same thing, you know. It's like spot and stalk, especially, and okay. that's what I love to do in clear Mate, rivers. You got You got to try underwater, you know, spear fishing. My brother's done it, and he loves yeah? it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw that on the uh, I saw that on the video. Mm. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, this uh, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Obviously, that that first experience in New Zealand is what drove you to this your more recent trip there. Uh, yeah, you did a whole. But just from I know I saw you in Denmark uh, whenever it was two months ago or something, and yeah. just from the, the little bit that we talked about there and the bits and pieces I've seen and different conversations we've had, I mean, you did a whole ton of stuff there. But the the, the thing I want to start with is, uh, and I think your first the first part of the video is on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken, where you shoot the sand behind. Yeah. 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 So that, I think it is very rare. In fact, I don't know, quite honestly, whether I've ever seen it captured, certainly, on film, that level of honest emotion. Yeah. I mean, you see, I mean, quite frankly, you know, you see there's a lot of bullshit out there, um, you know, with stuff that's captured on film uh, from from around the world where I feel like it's a little, it's too, it's too much of a, a celebration for their own egos, individuals' own egos, than it is the raw emotion and, and celebration of what's happened. Mm. And I think, uh, and again, we'll we'll stick the link for people to see this. That what you see there with you, I mean, it's just it's it's perfect. It, it's I hadn't, I hadn't imagined perfect. it being being that emotional. Eh? It just. Yeah. It just rolled me over. So was... let's start from the beginning. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. We'll try and describe it for for those people who aren't going to click the link. But let's let's yeah. start at the beginning of the. Am I right in thinking that was uh, you'd spent like two days in the tent because it was chucking it down with rain? Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about your other stuff in New Zealand, but let's just start with that particular yeah. hunt and, yeah. and what it was like sitting in a tent by yourself for two days. <laughs> well, yeah, I got to I got to build it up more because it's not only the two days. Okay. I'd okay. Been, because I came from New Zealand and I'd been hunt. I'm just going to do it briefly. I've been. I was hunting tar. I didn't get a tar, even though I got close like four times. I got into thirteen to seventeen meters four times on tar, 
and I didn't send one arrow. And it was frustrating. I ended up mucking it. And I end, and then David came down to New Zealand and we hunted for three weeks with, with the camera guy and, and did a did a production on that. And uh, and it's going to air in, on telly sometime soon. Um, but we hunted for three weeks, the uh, the red stags. We never let an arrow go on the stags. We shot a tar with the rifle and, um, and David shot a goat with a bow. And um, But we never got the stag. And then I went to Australia and I hunted the fallow deer and it was horrible conditions. The, the, the ground was just dry and it was hot. Uh, not Australian, Australian why it's hot, but it was hot for me, you know. And uh, it was just horrible. And so I, I thought, what am I going to do? And I was just thinking to go down south because conditions were looking better. And um, I wrote this guy, uh, Carl Brown. He's called Captain Bowman on YouTube. You should really look him up because he's got some... <laughs> Some a lot of a lot of good footage there. Um, anyways, I've been talking to to Carl Brown before and had a few chats with him. And uh, I, I wrote him and asked him if he was able to point me in uh, in direction of, of somewhere to hunt somebody on public land. And and he was like, "Do you have a four wheel drive or two wheel drive?" And I was like, "I have a I've, I've only got a two wheel drive." But and then he said, "You won't get far." And and I asked him if he was able to to drop me off somewhere and uh, if I could pay him to drop me off and, and pick me up like a week later or something and he said that I could just come down and, and we could go for a hunt and and he and we should be able to sort something out and I just went down, drove 10 hours and got down to Captain late night and uh, yeah, we had a talk and we ended up going hunt, hunting for a few days and we I actually ended up staying in his camper van by his house like on and off for six, seven weeks staying with his family and that was just unreal you know hmm. hooked up on youtube and <laughs> and facebook and then yeah it's an amazing community the hunting community it is it is there's so many options there but anyways we we hunted a lot together i missed a fellow buck and it was it was killing me and it was sort of a it wasn't a real opportunity he was walking and i'd imagine that the fellow buck would stop and and we called him in the fellow deer and uh and he didn't stop. He just kept walking, and I had branches in front of him. And couldn't shoot, and he was just sort of starting to pace up a bit. And he was thirty meters away, and I just sent away a horrible arrow just straight over his back. And I was like, "What the freaking hell are you doing?" You know. But it was just so frustrating for me at the moment, not have been having hunted for so long and not having you know taken down a deer, and it was just yeah. So what what period of time are we talking at, at this point? How long had you been so, away from home? So I've been hunting tar for two weeks. Uh, three weeks in New Zealand hunting stags for three weeks in New Zealand hunting fallow deer for for a week and a half in Australia and, and now we're here you know still hunting these fallow and and then we started hunting samba deer and then we hunted probably for seven days five days something and and we went hunting for goats and I was like I need to get something on the ground I need to boost <clears throat> I need to boost my confidence so we went hunting for some really switched on goats um, on a mountainside. And we ended up in the afternoon. I ended up killing a goat, and he caught it on film, which is in the film as well. Yeah, you know, I saw that. that yeah. yeah, yeah, that shot, and that was just that was awesome. Finally, to get something on the ground, get some meat, and then he uh, he dropped me in the bush with the meat and a lot of gear, and I just stayed out there to to hunt the sandbar to really focus because what we've been doing is driving back and forth, you know, in, in the morning, going back at night, and I just wanted to be there at first light, you know. 
and really just focus on my own and because sometimes that just works better you know especially yeah sometimes it just works better hunting alone and sometimes it works better hunting two guys but anyways I started hunting on my own then and, and then it just started pissing down and I was locked down in the tent you know it was actually good though having that time in the tent because I you know, I spent probably 35 hours in the tent only going out when I had to take a dump, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was good. It was relaxing. And then and then I got a bit wet one night, had to dry out, and then it and then it just cleared that morning and it, only, it was only dripping. So conditions, conditions were just perfect, absolutely perfect. Wind in the trees, so the sandbar couldn't – the deer wouldn't hear a lot and the ground was soft, you know. And I had I'd looked at the map and I knew where I was going and the I just thought I'd just cross that gully but when I got to it I could just tell straight away that it was a good gully you know and because um, it was out of the wind and had a lot of feed and cover down in the bottom so I just snuck down the wind kit was perfect and um, yeah got down and all of a sudden I could just I'd, I'd been yeah I spotted that, that was the first thing I spotted you know five six kangaroos. Oh, yeah. Feeding, and I thought, okay, it is a good spot. I mean, where the kangaroos feed, salmon might feed as well, you know. And uh, I snuck up, and I stood stood by a tree, and the roos were probably thirty meters away. And I just stood there looking at the roos, and I'd probably been been standing there for five, ten minutes, sort of thing. And all of a sudden, the sand behind just comes walking down slowly from from the opposite side, and I was like, ah, oh, my heart just started pumping. I was like, how unreal is this? The Samba just had no idea and it just came down perfect, reached the bottom and then just sort of started walking towards me and looking up and then it looked up towards me and and sort of went a bit broadside but it was still looking at me, looking away and at this time it's, it's only like 15 metres away and it comes even a few steps closer so it ends up being like 10 metres away from me and by that time I had the bow right up in front of me and sort of drawn to like a quarter out some sort of thing. And as she turned more broadside, she was still quartering on, but then I just drew drew back. And I didn't draw fully back because I think she might have picked the movement. But I drew back and I just let the arrow fly and it just straight – I ended up – I found out it, it sort of nicked the heart, the bottom of the heart. It didn't, so I took out the right lung and she just sprinted away and ran up into some cover and I – and I just started, oh, shit, you know, I knew it was a good shot, but, and then it just, I put, took up the binos, tried to spot her out of there, and I think, I, I thought I could see her, but I wasn't really too sure, and then I I got more and more confident that I could actually, that I could actually see her, and that she wasn't, that she was lying down, you know, and I just started crying, <laughs> and I just couldn't help it, man, it just, it just took over. It's yeah, just, so. it was, to watch, it's just fantastic. Uh, as I said before you started the story, it's it's rare that I've seen honest, honest emotion like that captured on film. I, I mean, it's just, it was beautiful to watch. Because <laughs> because I think yeah. if you combine it with the fact that, and this is something I, I want to talk about as sort of the kind of the trophy hunting question. I mean, this was a female deer, so there's no, uh, in inverted commas, trophy. But, you know, this was the hunt for you the actual uh, you correct me if you uh, if i'm wrong but the uh, actual yeah. hunt that you just did there and releasing the arrow and the success there that was your trophy mate absolutely this this is definitely the biggest hunting experience i've ever had definitely 
because that was just because I'd been so, yeah, just so devastated that I'd just been going for so long without getting anything, you know, or getting a deer in it. Yeah, it was overwhelming, man. <laughs> overwhelming. Fantastic. And look, we'll, uh, I think, I, I hope that people are intrigued enough to go and click the link in the description for this because you you, you got to see it we got it's almost impossible to describe this but just yeah, go click the link because uh it's it's fantastic to watch and yeah it, it especially you know what especially if you're someone who doesn't hunt go and watch that and see the reaction of a hunter to you know what they've yeah. just done it's it's fantastic yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what was the, what was the end result of that you you had successfully uh, killed it yeah. yeah. What happened was I I I uh, stood there looking at it, but all of a sudden she started moving again, and I was like, "No, you got to be freaking joking!" I thought she was dead, you know. But at the same time, I was in doubt. Before that, I was in doubt if she was dead or not, which is why I just sat back, you know, and watched it. Uh, she went down, she walked probably 50 meters, and I was looking at her the whole time, just standing still, staying out of the wind, and and she ended up going down to a wallow and she ended up dying there probably 10 minutes after so it sort of took like 15 15 minutes I think 20 minutes for her to die and and that was horrible that that's the only thing about this hunt that I hate that it had to go down that way because usually they die within 10 seconds you know so this is this was horrible but you know seeing in in, in perspective to what what happens other like how other people get the meat and in the pers- knowing that this animal has lived its whole life in the in the free in the wild, you know, um, it makes it kind of a right. I think for me, I mean, I, I don't feel this guilty. Well, I think uh, it's important that you explained that though, because well, one, it's a very honest thing for you to for you to tell that story, because mm. it doesn't go a hundred percent right a hundred percent of the time. Mm. Uh, but also, your reaction to that it it's it, it is horrible when things don't go a hundred percent right. Yeah, but you and have to just, you have to deal with that and and be comfortable with it yourself. Yeah, it pushes you as well to you know to keep improving. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it happened the way it happened, and yeah, having everything in perspective, I think it's. I don't find it okay, but I think it's you. I mean, other people go to the supermarket buy meat, it's, and uh, and the pigs have lived the whole life in in a freaking cage, you know, and mm. yeah. So, anyways, that's that's another discussion. Mm. But it was a good hunt, and she ended up dying there in the wallow. And I went down, and yeah, it was crazy. And I went out and got some signal, called the captain, and he couldn't believe that. He he didn't really actually believe. I don't think. <laughs> uh, well, he was in disbelief, anyways. And we went, and he was just he was just as stoked as I was, man. He was he was pumped. So we went down, got all the meat off it, and and yeah, and got it out. Carved it up with his old man, and uh, yeah, put it in the freezer in the fridge, and ate it. Ate it the next morning. Ate it the same night, and yeah, very, very good meat. So yeah, the whole cycle is there, you know, hunting it, eating it, and and it just comes natural. Once you've done it a few times, it's just natural to you, you know. Go finding your own animal and and uh, and eating it. You are one of them at the end of the day when you do it on that level. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you become part of it, and you do. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. 
<laughs> um, so what were there? Any, I mean, that was obviously like a massive highlight of that trip. I don't know. I don't know how much you can talk about what you did with with David. Can you give any? Uh, the stuff's coming out soon. Can you give kind of any yeah. insight as to what you guys were doing there with David? Yeah. Well, we were just we were doing a documentary on bow hunting red stags in New Zealand, and I'd sort of planned out a few spots that we were going to go and talk to a few people and. We needed to do a commercial for Sice as well, which was part of the deal because Sice and, and Sitka sort of sponsored the camera guy to, to go there and produce the uh, the film. And, um, yeah, so we did that. We hunted goats for a, for a beginning. I just wanted I wanted to get some meat on the table for a kickoff if we ended up not getting a stag, which was the case. So, yeah, and, yeah, so we got, we got a few kills, didn't get the stag, but that's what happens, I mean. I like actually. After looking back, I think it's also a good thing that it, it's also a good thing that we didn't get a stag because that that would send the the signal that you can just go down and kill a stag with a bone. You see, on this way, you know, you might not get a stag, even though you fight for three weeks, you you might not get your stag, and that's an important signal to sell because at the, right now, New Zealand is being sold off, or it, it's getting quite a bit of a hype. Mm. New Zealand, at least. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's you have to fight your ass off to to get things done there if you're hunting public land. It's a different thing when you're hunting private land with a guide, but hunting public land is not as easy, even with a rifle, as as you might you know have heard of. So I just had two two um, guys from is it Switzerland or Austria? I think it's uh, yeah, not too sure, but they went down anyways and and uh, rented or had, took my car down in, in New Zealand and, and drove around for three weeks and, and they didn't they didn't shoot an animal and and they experienced hunters. So it's all about knowing the area. I mean, to be successful, you've got to find the area with game and and then uh, if you don't, you're just out of luck and yeah. it makes it hard for you. And, and that's the way New Zealand is, public land. It's, you never know. Populations change quickly and... You've got the poisonous droppings as well, 1080, that, that just wipe out deer populations absolutely for five years, you know, before any deer starts appearing again. And, uh, yeah, so it is It is a bit – you need to do a bit of groundwork before you before you go hunting in New Zealand and uh, and then you need to be fit. You need to you need to know the right tactics. So not an easy mission but definitely, definitely satisfying once it, once it happens. I think you you mentioned being fit there. I think you you are absolutely right. I, I'm I'm David. He's probably gonna <laughs> kick me for saying this, but I'm sure he admitted to me that he he wishes he'd been slightly fitter when he arrived in New Zealand. Was that was that apparent? <laughs> well, well, it, it, it's always apparent if you're not if you're not in top shape. Yeah. I mean, these are steep as freaking hell mountains. You know that it's not easy, and but you when if you're at at a decent level of fitness, I mean, it's going to be a week you of walking, it. and you'll and you'll be there. You know, bring your heel stick, and it's going to work out fine. I mean, more than more than shape, it's also the grit. I mean, if you've got the mentality to just push on, it doesn't. You don't have to be peak fitness. Mm. It's definitely going to help you, but if you're mentally strong, I mean, you can push. You can you can do a lot of things. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like that in life, isn't it? And, and David is mentally strong, so that worked out well. I mean, it wasn't a problem. He just toughed it the out. The first, I mean, it was only the first trip we did, really, where he, where he was. So that's that's only normal. No, he was doing a really good job, David, and, um, and the camera guy as well. I mean, 
Yeah, you forget about the camera guy. Don't, well, some people forget. Oh. I don't forget about the camera guy because I do so much of it. But um, yeah. if people forget about the camera guy, everywhere the, those hunters or whoever it is goes, the camera guy is there following. So he's had no. to do exactly, he or she's had to do exactly the same stuff. Martin did an absolutely great job. He was he was not you know complaining at one single time. He just went through wet and tight shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it was awesome, awesome adventure. Even though we didn't get the stag, I mean, it just now I I know because we saw big stags and I was so close. I was at full draw, man, and this stag just cycled behind me to to get the wind, and he got the wind and he just took off, and I was like a meter away. He he he. Had he taken another step, I would have drilled him, and he was a monster. So I'm going to definitely go back there, and I'm going to I'm going to get him one day. I think. <laughs> For those people who haven't seen the kind of bush there, who are used to hunting like stags up in Scotland, this is this is thick stuff. Yeah, it was pretty thick stuff, and it's just why something it, can be so close to you and you can't get the shot off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crazy. No, that was an awesome time. With uh, those guys, and yeah. Um. There was something I had something on the top of my head there that I was going to ask you. No, it uh, totally just—it was something you had said, but now it's gone. But let's um, talk slightly more. Oh no, I tell you what it was. It was about the the, the ten eighty. Um, mm. Now we Josh mentioned that we had Josh James on, and he mentioned yeah. it briefly in the long interview we did with him. And we yeah. were supposed to be because they, they've just done a whole other a big campaign very recently with ten eighty drops. Uh, yeah. we were, he he is going to come back on, but it's just been difficult, sort of tying it in with the time zones and stuff. Yeah, he, he's a busy man. <clears throat> very busy man, and very 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 popular man. Very cool guy, actually. Yeah, he is. Um, but what I mean, what's your take on it? And maybe you could just give a little bit of background for people who don't yeah. quite understand why the hell they're dropping. I am. Poison. I'm, defi- I'm definitely not as far into 1080. Uh, the uh, the thing with 1080 as Josh is, yeah. but if he only touched on it, um, so, oh, what listened to the podcast as well? I can't remember. But thing is. Um, the Department of Conservation, they do the droppings to kill possums, which is the reason to to uh, for the droppings. And that's because they, one, carry TB, tuberculosis, and and secondly, because they um, feed on they they feed on particular leaves and and destroy destroy the uh, the fauna. And um, I think. Maybe it's it's an under. I think they've overestimated what impact the possums have, and I think that they're also using the possums as an excuse to also wipe out deer because deer obviously also have an impact on the environment, and um, so they wipe out big populations of not only deer but also native birds and dogs when they get close to farms. That happens as well. People's dogs die, horses die. Um, I'm not sure of the pollution of waterways, not really sure if, if the poison is actually uh, sort of washed out and, and not effective anymore when it gets into, into water. But there are different different uh, problems with, with the 1080. And, um, I mean, they're saying they're doing the droppings to, to preserve the, the fauna and, and the, the native wildlife, but at the same time they're killing the native wildlife um, with this uh, poison. So I think... What I actually thought of um, was doing, you know, resettable traps, and now I see they're they're actually producing them, and that's awesome. So they they can actually put traps up in the tree now, mm. put some put some food in there, and the possum's going to go up, and it's going to just work like a mouse trip. I think p- possum dies, falls down, and another pus- possum goes up, 
and so, so it's it just resets a resettable, itself. Resettable yeah. track, <clears throat> and I think it works very well. But I don't know the labour intensity. It's it's a big subject, and I don't want to go to any conclusions because I'm not really into no, that's fair enough subject that well. But I, I do know from what I've read, and certainly from what you see Josh post on uh, social yeah. media, is that it's a pretty horrific, it's a pretty horrific death. And the death is horrible. Yeah. That's that's the main thing. I mean, this is a horrible death. They eat the freaking poison, and they just go down with you know stomach pains and froth and cramps. They just lie down and froth for hours before finally expiring. You know, horrible death, and it happens to dogs, horses, and native animals as well. Birds. Yes. I mean, I've been into areas where I've literally heard no bird. It's just a d- dead forest. Really? Yeah, it's scary, man. That's it's, that is very strange. It's, that it's must be pro- surreal. Pro- proper scary, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I, I don't know. It's I, I I find it quite a. It's a, a sad thing, and uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if in in places you know those big culls of animals are necessary. I mean, they could probably hire hunters or. I don't know if the if the of of the efficiency of, of hiring hunters anymore, but because they I used to think, do it, they used to do it loads, didn't they? They did, they did, yeah. and they probably could do as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they. Uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll cover it again. I think in some detail, yeah. but it's just it's just good to get that. Well, firstly, just remind people that it's yeah. going on because you know, like yeah. I think New Zealand. Although I've never been there, my brother's been there, so he could speak if he he was here today. But you know, oh, it's, it's a there. yeah. He's he's spent a bit of time in New Zealand oh, yeah, with my cousin. Um, you know, it seems like a fantastic country, but uh, it, it's sad that there are these things going on. But it's held up as sort of this kind of all green country. But then you got a, a government yeah. po- poisoning its population. Yeah. No, it's horrible. Which is a, a really, horrible. yeah, it's not. There's got to be other solutions to it. Definitely. Um, what? Um, I'm, I'm not sure what your 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 take on this is, but I know that the, the one thing that um maybe not not wanting to make this a negative thing about New Zealand at all but the one other thing that that comes up there that you see quite a lot on uh, like if when you see pictures of people especially shooting stags which you know you're huge stags about. yeah yeah was... exactly yeah i mean these big daddy stags with like yeah. a million and one points and you, you know close to new world records or new world yeah. records in fact, yeah. my my yeah. one friend <clears throat> um he's just come back he's just been been there for 6 months and he was working yeah. on a farm there on a dairy farm Mm-hmm. And uh, some sort of connection through the guy who owned the farm, he got to see what is potentially going to be the next world record stag because they know that from what you know the antlers that are cast yeah. the year before. Yeah, yeah. And th- that industry there of big stags on private land is something that I suppose is kind of akin to what people would know as. Um, sort of caged hunting or canned hunting in Africa. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's kind of similar. I mean, what's, what have you seen of it and what's your kind of thoughts and opinions on that? Look, it is what it is. And I don't blame any hunter for going in, in a pen and hunting a stag in a pen or in a, yeah, in a fenced off area. It is what it is. And, but I think I'm a hunter as well, but for none hunters, it might seem very, you know, distasteful could you call it you know um if they know that oh the hunter's just going in and he's he's in it for the trophy <clears throat> in it for the trophy you know what i mean that's what sort of puts non non-hunters if if you could call them you know um that's sort of what put put those people off it and i think it could be sort of a downfall to some of the hunting um uh, actually but it is what it is. I see it as what it is, and it's going in and it's taking out an animal ethically, completely, one hundred percent ethically, and 
utilizing the meat. There's nothing wrong with it. That animal has, has lived a good life, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I think it's a way better way to produce meat or animals and and have people hunt, have a successful hunt. You know, they can they can have the experience of walking around hills and and maybe if you're not as fit or whatever. What do I know? Um, you get you get a uh, successful hunt, and you don't have to go out and and struggle for days in, in the bush. I mean, whatever whatever you get get your rush out of. I mean, you can definitely get an awesome hunt, even though it's an offence. Mm. And I don't blame anyone for doing it. We, we but, probably should say that the, it's not like it's the size of a guard. I mean, we're talking like a, maybe you know, a thousand it's, acres, it's, fifteen hundred acres. It is hunting, and you can yeah. you can hunt for days without. Without finding, without finding the right animal, probably. I mean, you will see stags, probably. All depends. I mean, it, it varies, of course. But um, yeah, it is hunting still. Um, but well, I mean, you know that the animal is there, and uh, so that's that's one factor taken out of it. Um, but I mean, that's also part of a different difference between bow hunting. I find, especially traditional bow hunting. To rifle hunting is once once an, a hunter grows with experience, they want to challenge themselves more, you know, and and that's where trophy hunting is probably misunderstood a bit. I think trophy hunting is also well, it is you know the hunter trying to challenge himself. He could have taken out a lot of deer that were younger, and um, but he he wants to pursue. He wants to find that animal. That's lived long, and and that's his challenge. You know, my challenge is getting close to any animal. You know, so that's that's my my prioritization towards a instead of being a, a trophy hunter. You know, so any animal will be a, any deer will be a an absolute trophy to me with the bow, whereas a rifle hunter needs to to shoot something big because he he would have then worked his ass off to find that that big trophy, whereas I would have just worked my ass off to find a deer. You know, or get close to a deer. So that's sort of, yeah, I think trophy hunting might be misunderstood. Like it's just setting up a challenge for yourself really. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think what you were saying about the, you know, the, the situation there with the, the really big deer in, in, in New Zealand is an interesting one because what you say is absolutely correct. You know, the animals are still, if you compare it to sort of intensive uh, agriculture, they're still having a much better life. The meat is still being eaten. They are still being hunted ethically and they die in exactly the same way as something that had been 100% uh, wild and completely free roaming over a million hectares um but it just so happens that yes okay they know they that die, they die a better death than than what wild animals do oh yeah in the wild yeah if they're not die of starvation yeah. and freaking breaking a leg or whatnot you know i suppose the well i mean you, you you kind of touched on it but it is it is the 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 actual hunter's sort of uh personal and personal ethics choice, ethical choice about what they want to do. Mm. And so for me personally, it, it doesn't interest me in the slightest going to go and shoot something which is you know, going to be a new world record, especially if it's being bred in those circumstances, yeah. you know, where they're adding minerals and licks and and supplementary feed so that they can grow these big heads, because that's the only way that you grow those big heads. Yeah, I know that you see pictures sometimes, and it does make me chuckle. And I think this is a slightly distasteful <laughs> part of the interest industry where they yeah. say, you know, wild stag. And I look at that thing and I think, you guys are lying through your teeth. That is no, that is no wild stag. And I don't, 
you know, I've seen so much of it. I don't give a freaking, you know. I know what it is, and it is what it is, yeah. and I don't, I don't really care. I've heard stories of people, and you would have probably too, you know, hunters being flown up on the side of the mountain and, and you know, being dropped off, probably chasing the tar around the mountain, and yeah. then the hunter getting dropped off and shooting the tar, or the guide ends up shooting the tar, and then they fly the helicopter over to the tar, grab the tar, fly it up on top of the mountain, and they take a picture, you know. Mm. And that's not hunting either, but, I mean, so that's that's probably more disgraceful, I think. You know, that's that's hunting for just to get an animal mm. um, and to say, oh, I've, I've done this and I that. It is, you know, some people use it as a as a boast to to have something to boast about, but I know what it is, and I, that animal has still been taken in a. I mean, to to be honest, that animal has, has you know has has died quickly, mm. and. It's just the person that's that's using it for something that it's not, yeah. and and you can say what you want, but that animal has died quickly. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And you know, this is something we've tried to explain normally in reference to, to hunting in Africa, and for maybe people's individual reason for wanting to kill an elephant or kill yeah. a lion. It's, it's exactly the same situation here, where you're talking about a tar or a big red stag. Yeah, is that. You know, there will be a, a big industry around there. It's maybe a little bit different in New Zealand because you've got this sort of conflict with the government actually poisoning their populations of game. But th there is still an industry here, and certainly on private land, they are managing the ground and the animals that are that are in it. Yeah. And, and if if the government keeps on going the way that they're going, there might not be all that many uh, animals left in the actual in the wild ground, which is maybe another thing that's I just thought off of the top of my head there. Yeah. Um. So the, the sort of the private ground might be the sort of the safe haven for the the game that's there. So does it really matter how the does it really matter to the animal the the reasons for the person pulling tree? It doesn't matter mm. how. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter. But I mean, you or I, as what I would like to think as you know, sort of hunters in the kind of truer, truest sense of what we want to achieve from it. You know, I, I don't think that that's a good way. You know, that doesn't interest me in the slightest. If I'm going to go and take something off the top of the mountain, I'm going to go to the top of the mountain, I'm going to carry it off myself. Mm. Because that's, for me, I, I would f feel like I had sort of cheated and it had been incomplete and yeah. I, I wouldn't see the purpose in doing it myself. Well, you see that in all, all walks, walks of life, people taking a shortcut, whatever, and trying to be something that, they may not be, you know, and I don't give a, I don't give, I don't care, you know. Yeah, I, I suppose that the the caveat to all of that is is that um, if you were doing sort of mass uh, population control, like that was your job, population control through culling a certain species, a certain number of species, or you're harvesting meat from a population, then in that terms, it doesn't really you're going to use the most efficient method possible, which might involve helicopters and taking all of the shortcuts because there's time frame and everything. So I don't want people to think from our conversation there that I, I or I, I'm not going to speak for you, but that I'm ob objecting to that. It's just that from the sort of personal hunter perspective, it all depends on what you're doing it for. There are mm. reasons for a lot of things. Yeah. I I, just, I I absolutely what 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 triggers me most is 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 the stalking stalking part of the hunt you know mm. once once you've gotten close enough to where you're actually in the proximity of the animal and you're you're fighting against the the absolute keen senses of that animal and you and you're you're winning it you know and you're getting in there you're getting into fifteen meters of a of a stag that or ten meters I got into ten meters of a freaking sandbar stag you know and they're so switched on. And that was just, you know, that was just such a big win for me, you know. No, you, you got the stag, didn't you? 
Hey, yeah, I got, got the stag. Yeah, because yeah, I saw a picture of it. Maybe yeah, talk no, me no. through that. Yeah, that wasn't the particular stag I was talking about, but he was. Um, that was going. I was after after having taken down the, the sand behind. Um, I drove north. I got the opportunity to hunt some private land further up north for rooster deer, and I ended up. I drove for a long time. I ended up going out camping, and I only had a few days because I. Um, because I'd only, um, you know, the forecast said said that the rain was going to come pouring down, and this is this is the story of the rooster stag, not the sandbar stag. And the rain was going to come pouring down, and and I did a I did a run for it anyways, and and the first day going out, I saw prints, didn't see any stags. The second day, I walked out, and it was just um, it's just a beautiful day, and and this and I could see. Um, fresh prints and I just stood still and, and scanned the area and um, started walking again and stood still again looking and all of a sudden this, this stag just starts thrashing a bush, you know, I could just see antlers and he was just going at it and this was in the beginning, you know, when they, when they start rutting, just, just before the rut so they start marking trees and marking the area. And my heart just started pumping, man. And he he walked out to probably twenty five quartering away, and I just let him walk. And um, I sort of I waited a bit, and I started scanning the area for hinds, and I couldn't see any, so I followed along. And all of a sudden, I, f- I found him again. He was threshing another tree, and I spotted another hind, so I had to sit back. And she luckily walked off, and I could just sneak right into. I probably got to thirty meters of the stag. And I think he he must have caught a bit of movement because he just yeah he, he would have seen a bit of movement. He had put his head up, was just looking, and I was like, oh, I think it's over, man. It's going to be over. And then he just started you know threshing bushes again. And that was just so lucky. I was lucky. He was busy, and I was I was like he was he ended up being on his back legs, just absolutely killing a, a tree. And I was like, oh, this is the best footage ever. I need to get it. But then I was like. You've got to make the move now, you know. So I walked in and I got to probably 17 metres and I was trying to push closer and I was like, what are you doing? Just stop. It's a big target. You you know you can hit, you know. And I stopped and he was perfectly broadside looking away and I just sunk the arrow straight into his, his chest, you know, and it was – that was that was so crazy awesome as well. And I started actually crying a bit again because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I finally got this fair guy. I've been working my ass off for. Amazing. Yeah. And how how did he go far after you let the arrow loose? He went fifty meters and he, and then he just stood puffing, and he was he was I could tell he was bet and I was just why is he not going down? It actually took longer than I expected, but then he he laid down behind a couple of trees and I knew he wasn't getting back up again. All of a sudden, like a minute after, he just took off and then he he vanished into some small bushes and I, I was like I walked. Walked to the other side. I couldn't couldn't see him running out, so I figured he was going to be there. And I didn't want to push it if it was a bad shot. I started doubting myself because he didn't go down straight away. I started doubting myself and I backed off. And I actually stayed away. I packed down camp. I stayed away for three and a half hours before getting back just to be sure not to push him out. You know, mm. came back and he was dead right where he you know had gotten up. So he would have been dead straight after. And it was a perfect arrow taking out both lungs and. Yeah, that was awesome. Amazing, it's a crazy hunt. Yeah, is there? There's no video out for that yet, is there? No, there's nothing yet, but it, it's gonna be. it's gonna come up and yeah. 
Well, just while we're, we're mentioning that, if people want to follow you and what you're doing, where's the best place to do that? Well, it's probably, I'm going to link to all the films on, well, I'm going to, I'm doing YouTube videos so you can look me up on YouTube, yeah. but it's probably the easiest to go into Orscope Hunting mm-hmm. on Facebook, so O-R-S-K-O-B Hunting, and I'm, I'm linking all my YouTube films in there and posting up photos and small stories and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's, but I've got the YouTube channel. You should be able to find it somewhere. Yeah. There's a link in there. We'll, we'll stick the links up anyway. Yeah. yeah. So what, um, what's next for you? You're busy studying right now. You've got to get that under your belt, but what's like, what's your plan for the next few yeah. years? Obviously you've got to hunt. I mean, if you, if you don't <laughs> hunt, it's not you. <laughs> it's a, yeah, no, that's true. It's a good question. Cause when I got back, I was like, we watched that footage together of, uh, Nikolai shooting that big moose, you know, on that. On that oh, epic yeah. venture you you'd been on up in uh, up north, and I was like, when he went, I didn't even feel jealous, you know. Usually, I'd be like, oh, I had, I I wish I was going, you know, but I I didn't feel that, you know. When I when I came back, I was like, I was drained from energy, you know. It wasn't natural, you know, to hunt half a year straight almost. So, um, but now I'm slowly starting starting to get it back, or I am getting it back now. You know that the, the itch is there. The itch is the itch is definitely getting back. And I, uh, I've actually been riding with a guy from uh, the states, Oregon, um, and he's um, we've been riding for the past, I think, probably a year now. Uh, Brendan, his name is, and um, so he uh, he said that he. In the first message, he, he actually uh, invited me over to hunt elk in the States. And uh, so I think that's going to be my next mission. And he's he's going to New Zealand in in three – oh, no, that's not true in – in a couple months. And he's going to take my car in New Zealand and, he, and I'm going to point him into – I'm actually going to point him into – and this is the first time I ever do this. I'm, I'm going to point him into the spot where it's been an eye shot our, our big stags. And he's gonna he's gonna bring his rifle there, and he's gonna hopefully I'm hoping uh, that he's gonna take a stag out of there. I know that a lot of New Zealanders know of the area as well, so it's gonna be a tough hunt mm. as well. Um, but he's gonna go hunt, and I'm gonna send him in for tar and, and chamois where I know there's good places, and uh, and then I'm hopefully I'm I'm thinking that that's the, that's the next thing that um, probably hunting elk in September in uh, in Oregon wow. with Brendan. That's gonna be something else. Yeah. Yeah, we actually had our first Skype conversation uh, just last night talking about hunting, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy what you can, what the internet allows you to do, you know. Yeah, and connect Hooking with people up, all around the world. Up with like-minded people, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Well, it, it, I hope that comes off, and when it does, you just got to promise me that you can come back onto the podcast to talk about your experience in the states. Yeah. That's going to be, uh, no, that'll be no, something I've, else. I've, I've been wanting to hunt elk for, for quite a while. And with it's the recurve just, as well? Yeah. Hey? With a recurve as well? Is that how you're going to hunt yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, just with the boat. Yeah, he's on the uh, he's on the compound and I'm on the recurve and, yeah, we're going to film it and hunt the hell out of it. Yeah, we're probably going to go for, I don't know, three weeks full on. He's going to he's gonna do a few, few, uh, few, probably a week before I get there. Yeah, and then we're just gonna go full on and hopefully get some get some bulls bugling. Mm, magic. <laughs> yeah. 
Ulrich, it has been absolutely fantastic speaking to you, and I could probably spend another hour talking stories, but uh, you know, all good things must come to an end, and I've got to save a reason to, to have you back on again, so I can't use up all your stories in one podcast, so a, a little tantali- tantalizing bit for our, our listeners is that we will probably have you on again pretty soon, and you'll be able to hear more more of your stories, and I'm sure that uh, I think I, my brother and I, we got some work on in Denmark at some point in the next couple of months so we'll try and uh, we'll try and tee up then definitely that'd be awesome let me know when you get here and we'll sort out a beer and whatnot absolutely yeah stay well and uh, i hope the rest of the studies go go well for you and um yeah september comes around probably far quicker than you you realize and that oh mate i'm looking forward so badly yeah I'm, i'm gonna order i'm ordering a bugle and i'm just gonna watch videos of bugling and tactics and yeah oh Get that, get that call on. We, we had uh, when David was on a while ago. He was he was giving. In fact, he was talking about the trip um, to New Zealand and the sort yeah. of kind of the spiritual aspect of that that trip for him personally. And oh, he, yeah, he was giving yeah. us some uh, some. He was calling stags over the over the podcast. It was brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And I, I I've been lucky enough to to see the the film uh that you you were you were talking about yeah um although it's it's not out yet and yeah you you get that in there and that kind of rawness that he was he was explaining there and the the connection was was mm. fantastic so uh, yeah. you must let me know when that is out for public consumption so that we can uh, we can share it with our listeners uh, that's awesome thank you so much mate it's okay. been really good talking to you and uh yep have a good rest of your weekend you too mate Thank you very much for listening. We will be back again in two weeks' time. I think uh, we pretty much exhausted you with everything we wanted to say at the, yeah, at the start. Did, yeah. But I just want to remind everybody that uh, to, to check out the link in the description for the video uh, where Ivan Carter is telling everybody about uh, the, the chimpanzee sanctuary. And as we said at the start, uh, to try and raise a, a bit of money for them, well, first of all, we would like you to go and check it out and maybe uh, donate. But if you want to go and buy something from our shop, from the website, thepacebrothers.com, in the next two weeks, we are going to give uh, 15% to the, to, to, um, the charity uh, th- through to Ivan. So that is, uh, that's a pretty good reason. You get something in return as well. Mm-hmm. So I think... Well, I think the next show could be stuff from Iwa. It might not be. It's maybe. maybe. No, maybe. I don't think it will be. No. Okay. Uh, so uh, it'll be uh, two shows time. We'll be bringing you uh, live live uh, conversations from the Iwa Outdoor Classic. Uh, but the next one, uh, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be. We've got a, a couple of people. So it depends who we get to interview first will be the next podcast. So it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. Who's this show brought to us by? This show is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. We mentioned them at the start, um, as we do with every podcast, and particularly uh, this week. Don't forget to check out the discounts that they have on three of the major car manufacturers in the UK. Um, As Daryl said, it shouldn't be the the reason for joining a shooting organisation. It should be to support the good work that they do, but... It is a rather nice bonus. It is, it is. Um, so give their offers call if you want to know a little bit more about the discounts. Certainly there's enhanced discounts on Toyota until the end of March. And the savings, um, because I've seen them, are pretty substantial. So I would, yeah, if you're in the market for a new car, give them a call uh, first. If you're a member or if you're thinking about joining and want to know more about the discount, uh, discounts, then give them a call.
That should, yeah. That's us. It'll make your day. I think it will. Yeah. We, you will hear from us in two weeks' time. You will indeed. Remember, I forgot to say, remember, we are on Facebook. And thank you to the 10,000 people that have um, now started following us on Instagram. Yeah, it's been crazy, actually. The, the, the Instagram followers have just started to go through yeah, so the So, big thumbs up for all the people that follow us on Instagram. Thank you very much. And uh, just very lastly, to sign off, if there's anything that you, our listeners, would like to hear from us, then just get in contact because... Loads of you do it already. Yeah. And it works. There are so many emails that we've been sent and we've either... That either are questions that they would like answered or they're wanting stuff on the show and we make it happen and don't forget to enter this week's competition which is to win a surefire g2x pro no excuse no excuse enter it's a facebook competition but as we said if you don't use social media and you want to enter then just simply send us an email podcast at paceproductionsuk.com and we'll enter it yeah joy thank you thank you